0: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry, featuring hosts Jason
1: Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer at Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott.
0: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 307 being recorded on Sunday, July 23rd. 2023 i'm your host jason retail geek goldberg and as usual i'm here with your co-host scott wingo hey jason and
1: welcome back jason and scott show listeners jason it's been a minute since we recorded a pod um as the kids would say we've had a series of feels like the universe doesn't want us to podcast either i'm out of town or you're out of town in a place where we don't have wi-fi or a mic. Uh, and then I had a little kid drama and we had to reboot and, but here we are, we're finally getting the pot in.
0: Thank goodness. And, uh, we're, I think we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I've been to several events and people are starting to get on me. They're mad that, uh, we, we've fallen off of our regular recording, um, uh, pace. And so I, I feel like I hope we will get credit, uh, for recording a rare Sunday night show, um, and I'm I'm looking for even extra credit. I'm actually recording this on vacation at an Upper Lake Michigan lake house, sitting in my car, stealing the neighbor's Airbnb Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah, I, I give you 100 extra points on that one. Yeah, def, definitely some kind of new ninja level podcasting that you're doing there. I feel like that alone
0: deserves a five-star review on iTunes
1: yeah yeah i feel like at some point the police are going to tap on your window and it's going to be fun to listen to that when it happens and yeah hear you, I, w- I hear w- you explaining what you're doing in that that uh foggy car there
0: exactly i, pr- I promise to keep the mic running if that does happen
1: <laughs> there may be some post-show editing exactly
0: well, cool. You've been
1: a busy on the road, uh, retail geek. So I know you went to commerce next and NRF nexus, which, uh, sound kind of relatively similar. They both got that NEX in there. Um, I was not able to make those and we purposely haven't really talked about it. So I'm excited to hear your take on the state of the union. that you've been at two trade shows.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, commerce next might've been shortly after our last recorded show. So it happened, uh, June 20th in New York city in uh, Manhattan at the, the midtown Hilton. Um, And this is a show. I don't know what year it is. uh, It's been going for a while, but this is put on from friends of the show. uh, Scott Silverman, who's been on several episodes and his partners, uh, Veronica and Alan. And, and, you know, they, they sold the show slash raised some money um, last year. So the, the show is getting, uh, more serious uh they're hiring more staff they hired uh, another friend of the show jill dvorak from the nrf to, uh, to manage content um and it was you know bigger and better than previous NR, uh, nrf or uh commerce next shows which were already good so i thought it was a good show in new york two days one track of content for the most part on the main stage so you know you got to see most of the main speakers uh there were like lunches and breakout sessions. I did a session um on sort of the evolving art of platform selection and uh you know this kind of shift from monoliths to to these sort of mock-based um headless uh platforms and the pros and cons of you know picking the best in class uh vendors for each little point solution versus all in one suites from one vendor and um we had we had some good dialogue about the relative merits of all those approaches and sort of the the evolution of the technology platform uh which i used to talk about and work with clients all the time and i feel like kind of i uh, i've lost some of my muscle on that like it uh, it comes up less often and i think part of the reason is all this stuff is getting somewhat commoditized and it's just easier and safer to to pick a solution and and, uh, you know, get into the e-commerce business than it used to be. Yeah, on the pod, we've talked
1: a lot about headless, and then there's that whole uh, acronym of what they do, which escaped me just as a I mock. mentioned it. Yeah, mock. They need to work on that. And uh, <laughs> not the best branding. Um, is that the still the very much, you know, what, what folks are looking at, or do you just kind of walk them through the 30,000-foot uh, yeah. layer of, you know, it's on-prem open source SaaS, and then headless or like what's, what's yeah. So the it's, state it's of the art? yeah. So
0: it's mostly cloud. Um, it's, uh, headless. It's, it's, you know, multi-tenant cloud headless, uh, uh, you know, uh, what Gardner calls compostable commerce. So, you know, or, uh, microservices or, you know, uh, efficient APIs or however you want to look at it. Um, but, uh, often it's like rolling your own UI or buying a UI versus getting a, you know, pre-canned UI from a, uh, what the the, the funny term for the old legacy solutions is monolith. So like SAP, uh, Oracle and IBM, um, now HCL are these like monolith, m- monolith solutions and like commerce next and fabric, um, commerce tools, uh, are kind of the, the more modern architectures for the actual platform. Uh, but, you know, one sort of interesting, you know, uh, Shopify, uh, there's a headless version of Salesforce, uh, you know, uh, Big Commerce, They're all kind of playing in this space. And the interesting thing is it used to be a huge game-changing decision what you picked. And um, in many ways, it just is less important. It's a less critical decision to your overall business because they're all like, Pretty good and somewhat interchangeable today with any of the the sort of modern ones. It's you know the folks that are kind of still trying to feed the servers under their desk um, and keep the the you know sort of on prem uh, proprietary stacks going. You know are the are the folks that are usually behind. Yeah. Cool. Uh, also, and I know even uh, less about the specific nuances of in, of individual vendors, but the there was a robust exhibit hall at uh commerce next and by far the most common vendor is a all in one AI based marketing suite. So, you know, all these tools that have like a CDP, email server, SMS server, personalization engine, like all all of these sort of out marketing outreach tools in a, a single vendor driven by AI. And I, I have great empathy for anyone that needs to buy one of these things. Cause there's like 30 of them and they all have the exact same words on their booth. the same, same basic value prop. So, uh, it's a crowded space right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was gonna be my next question. The AI buzz is sweeping through every company and I'm sure, I'm sure our e-commerce vendors are, are not alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there were a number of, uh, sessions at both shows. Um, uh, Switching for a second from Commerce Next, which was June in New York, to Nexus, which was July in California. So Interf Nexus um, is kind of the spiritual successor. Uh, Before Interf acquired Shop.org, we used to have this great Shop.org show, but we had another great show, the Shop.org Merchandising Summit that was a smaller show in California um, that was a little more sort of tactical, hands-on type stuff and uh in some ways, this uh InterF nexus is the spiritual successor to that. It's like a four or five hundred person conference uh at a beautiful resort, the Tierno uh resort in Southern California on the beach um one track of content uh great networking uh and just you know a uh a, a nice week to spend with many of your coworkers uh and I was vastly overexposed at this show. I feel like they they uh, spent their whole budget on the venue, so so they had uh, me do way too much content. So the first night, the big keynote was an interview with Kara Swisher. So I got to interview uh, Kara Swisher, who you know, a uh, famous tech journalist, started the New York Times, um, uh, started the code conference. So I interviewed Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Jeff uh, Bezos. Uh, Elon Musk, like all those guys, multiple times. Um, and so, you know, very famous interviewer. And so we turned the mic on her and I had to interview her, which felt like a total mismatch. Yeah. Um, but here's the brutal part of this the most common thing that happens to me at these shows is people recognize my voice from this podcast and they're super excited. And then the first thing they say is, Oh, it's great to meet you, but where is Scott? <laughs> because everyone's way more excited about you than me which kind of hurts so then like now I've made the big time I'm on the big stage interviewing Kara Swisher and what do you think everyone says to me uh where's Scott I guess yeah because she does a podcast with Scott um, Galloway Scott Galloway. Ah. exactly and so if they're not disappointed the big dog yeah yeah uh <laughs> that it's me instead of you they're disappointed that it's it's uh me instead of uh, uh Scott Galloway. And I, I did mention probably on stage that we, we both did podcasts with egotistical uh, co-hosts named Scott. Uh, but I also alleged that my Scott was way better than her Scott. And she agreed, even though I don't think she knows who you are. No, uh, no lies detected. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, but so we had a pretty good conversation. Um, she's, very opinionated and outspoken but she's also pretty well informed um so we we got pretty deep into ai and some of the pros and cons and some of the the near term and far term uh use cases around ai uh we talked a lot about social commerce and why it's hasn't caught on here yet and it you know has has uh more legs in china um uh she's very psyched uh and uh in favor of autonomous vehicles i thought you would Hmm. Uh, you would like that. And so I feel like we had a pretty wide ranging conversation that got uh, pretty good reviews. I got good feedback that I didn't blow it. Um, <laughs> and then were that not enough, I also had my own keynote on stage where I kind of recapped the, the state of commerce and, you know, did one of my data pukes. And uh, I spent a fair amount of my keynote talking about the emergence of these Chinese juggernauts, uh, particularly Shein and Timu. Um, and I showed a chart that was pretty eye-opening to the audience um, of web traffic. Like a lot, there's a lot of charts floating around about mobile app downloads, particularly of Temu and how quickly they've they've gotten a, uh, you know, to be the top downloaded shopping app on the U.S. Uh, uh, app stores. Uh, but I showed Amazon, Walmart, Target, Temu, and Shein monthly web visits. Um, and, you know, for people that aren't following it closely, Sheehan's been around for 10 years. They've been kind of in the U.S. Um, in their current form for at least five years. Uh, Timu's brand new, just launching last November. Um, and Sheehan is almost, is about 80% as much traffic as Target. Uh, Timu passed Target for web, we uh, monthly web visitors in january of 2023 and is now sort of halfway between target and walmart
1: wow yeah that's amazing yeah so we- i spend a fair amount of time with 16 to 25 year old young ladies and it's all she in all the time they don't ever mention timu yeah. and, and they call it shine and i tell them retail geek says it's she in and they say they don't care yeah she's They're an insider shine Exactly. Everyone calls it shine. So sorry. Yeah.
0: All right. They started out selling wedding dresses. um, And uh, yeah, the, they also are doing well. You know, we haven't talked a lot about them lately, but they've expanded from a apparel retailer to a, a broad set of categories including consumer electronics. And they've launched a third party marketplace in the U S. Wow. Uh, So both Timu and Shein are now third party marketplaces kind of competing with a very similar assortment. Um and yeah, it, uh both both are capturing pretty pretty significant attention of US consumers.
1: The um, did you get booed off the stage or they were like you w- no, looked no, them no. up?
0: There's uh I, I think people are we I suspect people are slightly less informed than they should be on them. And I feel like people are interested and we're taking note um and then i did a third session uh for the the CMO marketing council on generative ai there were a bunch of other sessions on ai as well but i kind of did a deep dive on some of the commerce use cases uh and i'm particularly interested uh there's a lot of new i mean there's new stuff every week and there's like general stuff that you can imagine being applied to commerce but like google launched a, a new generative AI feature for apparel try on um, that's remarkable. Like, so you upload a picture of yourself and you pick any of these uh, garments and it shows you that garment on you. And it's not some stupid rendering where it's like, you know, a gif on top of you um, <laughs> or, or, you know, some distorted thing. Like the garments flow on your body type, like In a very realistic way. and, this is a functionality that a few websites have offered for a while with um, really complicated 3D models and really expensive product detail pages because they have to scan all the apparel and they have to get you to take a picture of your body to scan your body and it's it's like a cool experience but it's a lot of work to get there and this Google thing just does it with a couple of flat images and it's it's really pretty remarkable so I you know I definitely think the the future of apparel shopping and a bunch of visual categories. Is going to be you know seeing this stuff on a realistic representation of you, um, and uh, they have another feature coming out soon that they call Scene Explorer, which is kind of the the augmented reality. Hold your camera up to the shelf at the store and overlay all the products it sees on the shelf with all the digital product detail from from the Google catalog, which is interesting. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the Google
1: thing, because when it was announced, there was some confusion where it looked like you could say it had like some body types, some matrix of 256 body types. And you could say, that's me. And you could see the body type, not you. But you're saying you can actually upload your own picture.
0: Yeah. So the the confusion is understandable because they launched a feature with a predetermined set of models um, that was kind of a proof of concept. And so you could like pick a model and they had models with different body types. And so, you know, uh, and ethnicity. So you could see kind of your ethnicity with your body shape. And then three weeks later they said, and here's how you a- upload your own picture. Hmm. Okay. Um, and so they're, they're technically two different products, but they, they happen in such close proximity. You're, you're like, well, I wonder why they launched the first one. Interesting. Um, and in fairness, the first one is a, like an available to use API that commerce sites can use now. The second one is kind of a, uh, a science like a proof of, of technology concept that they've released to the academic community, but I, I don't think they've released it for commercial use yet. Yeah. And timing wise, I don't know if this was before, after your show there,
1: but Shopify has their new kind of like co-pilot kind of like uh, AI piece. It's really more at the store level though. Um, Yeah. And it got a lot of buzz, but I looked at it and it just seemed like a fancier wizard for setting up stuff like I it didn't seem as game changing as some of the Google stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although it is interesting that just everybody's building better AI into every product, right? Like, you know, I think someone said recently, like, like uh, every every text box on the Internet is going to get a large language model. Yeah. The expectation is you can just like talk to these things and
1: have them do stuff for you. So it's going to be good. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. And that was for sure. At Commerce uh, at uh, Interf Nexus, that was probably like 80 or 90 percent of the conversation was AI based. So it was kind of uh, it was fun for me to talk about a few things that weren't AI based because it was getting getting a little tiresome. And uh, fun fact, Nexus, if you recognize those dates, July 10th through the 12th, it's because. That was during Amazon prime day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, anything else before we move on? Uh, no, I think those, those were the big things, uh, you know, two shows that are well worth attending for, uh, for folks that are looking for commerce events. Um, and, uh, I'd say, you know, congratulations to, to both, uh, for, for putting on a uh, good growing robust, uh, events in, uh, in a semi-challenging climate to get people's attention.
1: So, you know, there's always the, what you talk about in the front of the the hall and then the back room chatter. What's what's the back room chatter? What's top of mind? Are people worried about, um, and by people, I mean people in our industry, are they worried about the recessionary headwinds and inflation or do they, you know, they feeling pretty good about holiday this year? What What's kind of the, yeah. the scoop?
0: So, I don't know. I, I might even say there's two tiers. There's like, what's what's the normal conversation in the hallway? And I do think there's a lot of conversation about what's going on in the industry right now from a a momentum standpoint. And and I, I think the 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 sort of top line there is it's complicated. Like, it's really weird. Like, there's there's economic indexes that are becoming more favorable. I mean, we're seeing like the inflation numbers come down. Um, you know, there's still some data uh, to suggest that the US consumer is in like pretty good financial shape, all things considered. Um, but there's a lot of indications that consumer spending is slowing down. And, you know, we're just coming into kind of Q2 earnings season. I think Amazon's going to report next week. Um, and so obviously we'll do a show about that. But, uh, you know, a lot of retailers have kind of reported soft Q2s and even more alarming they're lowering their guidance for the back half of the year. So you kind of simultaneously have some like decent economic news and, you know, more economists are starting to say, hey, a soft landing is possible and maybe we're going to avoid a recession, which, you know, I feel like the the majority of economists earlier in the year were pretty convinced that we were going to end up in a recession. And so that would feel favorable. But then at the same time, Uh, customers feel like they're cutting back and, uh, you know, a lot of growth indexes are kind of slowing. So I feel like there are variations of what the heck is going on with all of that. Um, when I like privately talk to people and get into a lot more specifics, I, I have to say, um, I am not optimistic for a robust holiday. I feel like a lot of people, uh, are, are gearing up for, um, a pretty challenging holiday with pretty deep discounts, um, like there already is a slowdown in sales. And so people are worried that they're going to be in a bad inventory position for holiday. Um, and they're just seeing like consumers in, uh, continue to trade down. They're seeing uh, uh, sort of um, elective cate- uh, product categories really start to take a dip and, you know, more consumer budget going to necessities versus wants. Um, and so it it is increasingly sounding like it's going to be uh, a challenging holiday, especially from a margin standpoint. Got it. So I hope uh, hope we're all wrong. Is
1: that shared by folks or that's kind of like what the, the, the big kind of the the elephant in the room is basically.
0: No, that's like when I talk to retailers about like what they're bracing for and, you know, what their, their playbooks um, are for, for holiday. And, you know, people are talking about expecting to see deeper discounts more competition on discounts which then erodes margins and uh you know some some traditionally stalwart categories being soft and stuff like that cool well uh you mentioned prime day
1: and it wouldn't be a jason and scott show without some amazon news your margin is their opportunity That's right. So, unfortunately, uh, Amazon doesn't announce their second quarter results until Q3, and then we'll get the real, uh, well, July, they won't really talk about Prime Day, but we we do have some Amazon news coming, and we'll be doing a show if uh, the universe aligns for us around those results. But until then, we can talk about Prime Day. First of all, did you end up buying anything this
0: year? I did. Uh, I feel like I talk in this show every year about overbuying on like cables and chargers and I I did do all of that again um the other I I bought some uh I uh, I think I've mentioned on the show before that I moved from a condo to a house in the last year um and so we have this new thing that we didn't used to have called patio furniture so I bought some uh uh like furniture to hold the covers when it rains in Chicago some weird weird outdoor stuff
1: cool what about kind of you getting some uh, accessories? Um, one of my anchor multi headed octopus things died. And this is frustrating. I thought I was buying another one and I specifically was searching on anchor. I was on my phone and I was having to go fast and the thing showed up and it was like a no name. It wasn't an anchor device and it's already acting wonky. So I kind of, oh, no, you, you know how they can advertise and like really get, uh, you know, this is kind of the negative side of some of the Amazon experience these days. Uh, I was pretty sure I was in an anchor only mode, but but a non-anchor product snuck into my cart. And I ended up getting that. But it was oh, cheap. Okay. So there you go. And it doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a bummer. Wow, yeah. Wow. If
0: you want to buy like cheap uh, no-name stuff, you should buy it from Timu. It'll be like 99 uh, cents.
1: Yeah. And uh, like Wish, does it take six months to show up? Or
0: is it- No, it's, you know, so Timu is uh, seven to 10 days. And they offer you a shipping guarantee. So you get like um, a store credit if it doesn't arrive in 10 days. Hmm. That's good. Cool. Well, uh, what did you see on Amazon
1: Prime Day? I'll I'll do a little Wall Street piece, but I thought you may hit some of the high notes.
0: Yeah. So, A, you know, Prime Day is important just because it's Prime Day, but also a lot of people use it as sort of kind of a first indicator of what the second half of, of the year is going to look like. Um, so this year was on the 11th and 12th. It's been two days for for a number of years now. Um, and, you know, Amazon doesn't really report anything very useful about Prime Day. It's Everything's a record. They did more than they did last year, which they're always going to do more than they did last year. Um that, but they don't give you any real numbers. Uh, so Adobe is the most commonly cited um, estimate of Prime Day. And Adobe estimates $12.7 billion were sold on Prime Day, which is up 6.1% year over year. Now, a wrinkle in these third-party estimates is none of them are just estimates of Amazon. Um, they all you know, talk about this phen- phenomenon of other retailers doing sales on Prime Day. And so they're actually measuring... All e-commerce sales on the Prime Days, not just Amazon sales. So they're saying industry wide, twelve point seven billion in sales, up six point one percent year over year, um, which is robust. Uh, there were people that were forecasting it would be bigger than that. Uh, the other forecast I've seen was eMarketer. Um, eMarketer was same ballpark. They estimated thirteen point five billion, and they said about eight of that billion would happen on Amazon and five point billion of that was going to happen off Amazon Uh, both of those are U.S. estimates Um, so that would uh, you know be decent growth it would be a deceleration from from the last few years of prime day growth
1: yeah the so one of my favorite reports was from Colin Sebastian who's a friend of the pod and he's from Baird and he basically uh said that they thought it was an acceleration so um meaningful so amazon reports items sold and then they take that and some proprietary data and they're saying it was a 20 to 25 percent year-over-year increase um and they ended up increasing q3's estimates based on that so it'll be interesting to see you know where it's going to fall on that so that yeah, you know, it seems like the bookends we're hearing are 6% and 25%. So that's a pretty big big range to see where it's going to fall into. They'll they'll never disclose the actual prime day results, but we'll know when they announce Q3 if they beat or exceed that that it was kind of towards the high end and if they come in on the lower end of the range, we'll know it's more like that
0: 6%. Yeah, yeah, and that'll be interesting. 25% in the current climate would be pretty darn impressive. Not saying it's not true, but um you know, you look at like the last couple quarters of Amazon's growth, they weren't that high. You know, you look at the in, uh, retail industry's growth not near that high. So like if they're driving twenty, twenty five percent, that would be big. Um, yeah, and I guess we'll never we we'll never know for sure. Um, did anything else jump out at you in the Baird report? That was the meat of it. They were just really focused on you know, they had a little
1: little things in there like Last year there was a lot of supply chain issues and a lot of reports of product not getting to people. It does seem like this year they things worked a little bit more flawlessly. So there was some some just optical stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really didn't hear of many glitches in this year's Prime Day, which you know it's one of the the sort of like highest demand days of the year. So it you know it is a day when you would uncover glitches. Uh, I saw a bunch of other a smattering of other interesting data points about Prime. Um, from various folks. Uh, Adobe, in addition, in in addition to estimating sales, they showed category growth. And so they called out like appliances was the big category growth with 45 percent up year over year. Uh, Household products were up 28 percent year over year. Electronics were up 18 percent year over year. Apparel up 17 percent. And then the big winner is office products, which is up 76 percent. And at first, that might surprise people. But one thing to know about office products is they always do phenomenally well on prime day because prime day tends to fall right at the beginning of back to school shopping. Yeah. So it's kind of a perfect, perfect storm there. Yeah. Um, And then uh, they also Adobe reports uh, discount rates and here's where it starts getting interesting. They said that on average electronics were 14% off apparel and toys were 12% off. And those were the deepest discounts. Um, And to put that in perspective on holiday of 2022 uh, toys were 22% off consumer electronics were 23% off and apparel was 14% off. So um, that data would imply that the discounts at prime were not as significant as the discounts uh, that we, you know, Tennessee over holiday period um, another does that surprise you at all?
1: No, um, I do know you know so since we're in this this kind of economic situation i I think the consumer is really not getting off the dime unless they have deeper discounts and i I think they probably had a pretty good data science reason for for that
0: yeah um so then one interesting thing, which also says something about the consumer's health uh the Buy now, pay later use was up 20% on Prime Day um, and represented 6.5% of all sales. Um, so that's you know, like that been a growing payment type for a while, but I would argue it's kind of plateaued. Um, and so it was interesting to see that big big step it's up a on Prime firm, Day. right? They're married to a firm? Is that- uh, yeah, that right? Well, so on Amazon. But again, all these stats are this kind of like, everybody is Prime Day. And so I think that does include... Like Target and Walmart sales, which uh, are not a firm. So. Um, so it's all those guys, uh, Klarna and a firm, and, um, and there's too many to name these days. Uh, but then to me, some of the interesting things were like who participated in Prime Day. And so, uh, you know, a, um, uh, a uh, digital marketing agency, Acadia, um, that tracks this stuff pretty. Close uh, and that Curie uh, Masters works for, who who I think is uh, one of the really smart voices on on Amazon sellers. Uh, they reported um, that this year eighty percent of all Amazon sellers participated in Prime Day in some way, and from their methodology last year sixty nine percent participated. So it's it's the participation levels continuing to increase and it's nearing. 100% of all Amazon sellers participating in Prime Day, um, which isn't super surprising. It seems like Prime Day is a pretty successful, important thing to participate in. Um, they also said in general that Prime Day, uh, that sellers had to spend 14% of their total revenue on Prime Day on Amazon Digital Marketing. Um, wow. So that came from uh, Momentum Commerce that estimated that. So that's a uh, pretty high on top of the take rate. Uh, You know, that's that's just all the Amazon marketing services. Uh, And then um, a a particularly interesting take was from our friends, uh, Joe at Marketplace Pulse. Uh, He reported that 150 brands were promoting um, buy with Prime on their own websites on Prime Day, which would be up 10x from last year where there were like 15 brands using buy with Prime. So, you know, it's just interesting how it's all playing out with kind of Amazon expanding offsite, like all these other retailers getting in the market. I feel like the vibe, there have been other years when a lot of other retailers more directly counter-programmed against Prime Day. And this year, there were a lot of sales on Prime Day for sure, but it almost felt like more retailers did like 4th of July sales and almost tried to preempt Prime Day a little bit um, as opposed to completely focus on it.
1: Yeah. I guess we won't know until the data comes out. When does, so we won't have that.
0: Yeah. So That'll the, be a while you know, the Debbie downer thing one. on all yeah. this is, you know, prime day is actually in Q3, right? So we're, we're just going to start getting Q2 data here. Like the, the U S department of commerce, Q2 data for e-commerce will come out in mid August, uh, Amazon will report Q2 next week, and then a bunch of other retailers in the next couple of weeks. Um, but that'll all be Q2 data, and this Prime Day stuff is all Q3. So it's it's going to be you know four months down the road before we have have more clarity on that, and we'll be you know well into holiday when we get that clarity. Yeah. Hmm. Well, speaking
1: of data, I saw you had a tweet where you went through some of the new commerce data. What what are you seeing there?
0: Yeah. Um, so obviously we talk about the U.S. commerce data every month. So last week, just after, uh, NRF Nexus on July 18th, the U.S. Department of Commerce released its June data. And, um, this is one of those, it's complicated. These results don't seem that, that favorable kind of stories. June retail sales overall were up 6% from June of last year, which is a pretty meager growth rate and a significant deceleration. Um, so if you go year to date, January through June, sales this year are only up 1.9% versus last year. And again, like normal retail years, sales tend to go up about 4% a year. Uh, the last three years, you know, largely impacted by the pandemic, we've had the three highest growth rates in the history of retail. Um, so they're all much higher than 4%. So only being up 1.9% year to date is a pretty disappointing place to be. Um, it's still up hel- a healthy amount from before the pandemic. So, year to date, we're up like 35% from before the pandemic. But, you know, what everyone immediately asks when you talk about these numbers is, well, what does inflation do to them? And if you adjust those numbers for inflation, year to date, we're down 2.8%. Um, and we're only up from before the pandemic. So, uh, you know, that reflects, you know, a consumer that's being pretty conservative with their spending. Um, And that, you know, is a worry sign going into holiday. If, if we only grew, you know, less than 2% or, you know, on a real adjusted basis, if we shrunk 3% from last year, Um, we don't get great monthly data for e-commerce. We get better quarterly data, so the monthly data we get is this thing called non-store sales, which is kind of like catalogs and e-commerce. And it's it's a little bit of a broader catalog, but it was up 9.9% um, in June, which means year to date, we are up 7.9% for non-store sales. And so that's reflecting kind of a return to typical e-commerce growth rates. Like before the pandemic e-commerce would grow 10 to 15% year over year and brick and mortar would grow 4%. At one point during the pandemic, we had an inversion where retail was actually growing faster than brick and mortar, uh, than e-commerce and e-commerce has over the last couple of quarters been kind of flipping the script and kind of going back to normal. And so at the moment we have this thing where e-commerce growth is back to its normal, t- uh, eight to 10% level and brick and mortar is, well under its normal 4% level. Um, So that's kind of the commerce story. Um, And again, we'll get better e-commerce data because we'll get the Q2 uh, e-commerce data next month. Yeah. Uh, I did have one funny story I didn't mention when we were talking about uh, the Timu and Shein stuff. Um, Timu and Shein are now suing each other.
1: Uh, they're in they Chinese companies, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So both are uh, Chinese companies. Shein uh, has a U.S. headquarters in uh, Boston. I don't think Timu has a U.S. headquarters that I'm aware of. Um, so Shein, uh, which again has been around for a while, is suing newcomer Timu um, by saying that Timu has been impersonating Shein on social commerce platforms, uh, including Twitter, where you know, of course the the verified system has been kind of put in flux, um and so Timu is accusing Sheehan of creating a bunch of fake social media accounts uh to undermine uh, uh, Xi'an. um, and uh Timu is counter su or not counter suing they're separate suits. Timu sued shehan in u s court for violating u s antitrust laws because what Timu is saying. Is that Shein is trying to lock up all the factories in China and get all these factories to sign exclusive trade agreements to only sell products through Shein and explicitly to not sell through Temu, um, and so uh, Timu is trying to use U.S. US uh, antitrust law to sort of level the playing field. So um, you know, in, a just, in addition to being two fast-growing sites that are winning, winning consumers and and uh, you know taking a, a meaningful share of retail sales. Uh, They're now both becoming uh, jobs programs for lawyers, just like every other retailer in America.
1: Yeah, the, uh, I just don't think that's going to work. I don't think the U.S. courts are really going to opine, do you? Like,
0: <laughs> I, yeah, so I, definitely not. They're probably going to say
1: you're evil Chinese, company, you know, the government. Yeah, so I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt.
0: Market. No, so th- I think they all have standing to sue. And they're all obligated to follow U.S. law, so I, I I think the suits will go through. I do think there is a, a rightly or wrong, there is a sort of anti-Chinese sentiment in the U.S., but I doubt that carries through to the courts. I think that's a lot bigger deal for potential regulation against some of the things these companies are doing. And there is a um, there's a complicated thing that both Tian, Timu and Xi'an are getting partly accused of violating, like um, uh. There's uh, a a cap on customs that shipments have to be worth over $800 um, in or, uh, order for you to have to pay tariffs um, and, you know, uh, meet all these import obligations. So if you ship a container of clothes from China to the U.S., you're going to pay tariffs on the import of those clothes and you're going to have to comply with a bunch of laws like that the Clothes weren't made at a factory, um, you know, in a region of of China that's known to violate human rights and all these things. Um, and there's this loophole that if your sale, if your shipment is under eight hundred dollars in value, you don't have to do any of that. Um, and so when Shein started, they were shipping a lot of stuff straight from China, and and uh, it was all under this eight hundred dollar threshold. And Tim was still shipping everything straight from China. Shein has built a few warehouses in the U.S., so they're probably blended but like there's a lot of talk on washington about um changing our trade treaties and lowering that minimum uh to uh because there's a a significant amount of shipments coming from china to the u.s that are that are now under that threshold and taking advantage of that to not not be you know incur all these costs that that bigger companies are having to do Very cool we will see. It'll be funny to watch that one rattle through the courts and
1: see see who wins.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it's a you know, it's all if you, if you don't have a huge financial interest in it, it's fun to grab some popcorn and just just follow the drama of all of it. Cool. Any other exciting news you want to go into? No, no. I think that is everything on my list uh for for the this month. I'm going to be I'm um, interested to see how Amazon uh, earnings play out next year. Again, there's a weird thing like, you know, in general, growth is decelerating. The industry average is decelerating. And our friends at Amazon and Walmart, which are the two largest retailers in the US by a significant margin, are bro- grow- have historically been growing faster than the industry average, which kind of means that there's not a lot of growth for the rest of the industry. And so it'll be interesting to see whether that, trend continues in uh uh, with this q2 data or whether um uh you know the law of large numbers starts to kick in with these guys yeah and if you have these
1: fast growers out here like these upstarts the Shein and the team who are they taking share from that's that's always the ultimate question that we ask
0: yeah absolutely um so we're gonna have to continue to watch and hope more data becomes available
1: Cool. So, do you have any trips coming up that people need to be aware of? Uh,
0: I'm all, vacations all the time now.
1: Wow, okay. Uh, Having so done yeah. three keynotes, you're, you're burned up. Uh,
0: I am not. I, of course, I'll be at every show. <laughs> so, I think um, next up for me is ETEL East in Boston. So, if uh, any folks are planning on attending that or are in the Boston area, drop me a line and we can meet for a Starbucks coffee and you can give me a hard time about why you wish Scott was there and not me. <laughs> Cool. And then on our docket, we have August 3rd is Amazon earnings. We'll try
1: to get a show out pretty close to that one. Um, and then we've been promising folks a deep dive. I get uh, notes all the time. And now that you've done a talk on one, that will that should be helpful because now you've hopefully got some slides that we can use as an anchor point. So we'll have to get that in the can once we get back to a more normal schedule here.
0: Yeah. And that's a deep dive on generative AI, I assume you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. AI, okay. deep dive. I love it. Um, Well, we'll give back some time to users. So if you appreciate this nominally shorter episode, uh, feel free to give us a five-star review and encourage us to be brief more often. Yeah. And until next time, happy commercing.